Act Two of The Money Spinner by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two. Scene. Same as in Act One, night time. Windows open and bright moonlight on balcony. Doors right closed. Curtains left closed. Ottoman removed to left downstage. Downstage right centre a small card table with green baize top, on which are two packs of cards, lighted candle with shade and small bell. Chair right and left of card table. One or two camp stools on balcony. Pianette candles lighted. Also lighted candles round room. Soft, sentimental music to open. At rise of curtain, Dorinda is discovered seated on balcony outside of right window. She is dressed smartly for the evening. Crudel is asleep on ottoman down left, with his legs on a chair and a coloured handkerchief thrown over his face. He is attired in very rusty evening dress, and wears the ribbon of the Legion of Honour. Dorinda, looking at the stars. How late that old band's playing! Some big fellow's birthday, I suppose. What a jolly night for sentimental soliloquy! How beautiful the stars are! Regular diamonds of the first water! I always think that the stars are hung out to encourage good girls while the moon looks on and bullies the bad ones. The moon has such a painfully judicial air. I believe it is in the pay of the English school boards. Music ceases. Crudel snores gently. I wonder whether that is the water I hear, running through the bridges and lapping the sides of the quay. How balmy the air is, and how tight Millie's dresses are round the waist. How kind of Millie to lend me her swell dress, and how hard that I should be squeezed in on such a heavenly night. She rises and comes into the room. Pa has dropped off. She walks on tiptoe over to Crudel. Poor Pa. I hope life will run smoothly for him for the future. There is so much to admire in poor old Pa. Crudel sleepily turns up the part of the handkerchief covering his mouth and mechanically raises the spirit flask to his lips, then replaces handkerchief and drops off again with the flask in his hand, and without noticing Dorinda. Dorinda with a shudder. Oh, how horrid! Crudel uneasily in his sleep. Double on the red. No getting out of it. Oh, what a lot can be done by a twist of the wrist. By God! He is dreaming that he is back in the Rue Saint-Nicolas. Oh, I can't bear to think of that dreadful place. Why do they leave me here? They know how it frightens me to be left alone. Harold enters, dressed as in first act, from door right. His manner is excited. Dorinda, running to him. Oh, Harold!
Harold, I am so glad you have come. Ah, Dolly. Yes, I am late, but I couldn't get back earlier. Old Ribot has returned, Ribot, the head of the firm, a hard-fisted, hard-hearted, grasping old miser, and has been overhauling all the factory books. Ha-ha! <laughs> I have him worried, but I give my keys up tomorrow, And then he can have his revenge upon me. What's the matter, Dolly? Nothing. I'm nervous tonight, and feel frightfully off-color, that's all. Where is Millie? Dressing. I'll send her to you. Harold crosses to left and sees Crudel. Why, your father is keeping you company. Dorinda, returning to her seat on balcony. Yes, I've been listening to him. He's been snoring. How jolly! Harold looks down on Crudel. Poor old fellow. Tired, perhaps. Sees flask in his hand. Confound him! At that wretched brandy again! Takes flask from Crudel's hand. This is the old reprobite's master. But what a warm-hearted master! How different to Ribot! Ugh! How cold I feel! Puts flask to his lips and drains it eagerly. That's good. Poor broken-down father-in-law. Do as you please. This is Liberty Hall. Till tomorrow. He lets the flask fall upon Crudel, who wakes up and rubs his eyes. Harold goes to opening left. Millicent comes through the curtains and meets him. Millicent is very prettily dressed for the evening. Harold returned. Has anything occurred? Nothing. That is good news. Go and dress. It is half-past nine. Our guests will be here soon. What are you going to do? What plan have you in your mind? That is my secret. Go and dress, and, Harold, be happy tonight. Happy? Yes. Trust in me, and don't look at me all the evening. Dorinda, from window right. Is that you, Millie? Yes, Dolly. Harold kisses Millicent and goes out through curtains left. Millicent crosses over to card table and sits left of it. She takes up a pack of cards. Crudel has now thoroughly awakened and is putting the flask to his lips. Not a drain, by gad. And I've slept till I'm chilled. What bad measure Margot brought. Perhaps the woman tipples. Ugh! How filthy! Millicent, from card table. Papa, I want you. Yes, pet. Millicent looks round to see that Dorinda is not listening. Dorinda is still on balcony, but not in sight. With your old friends again, Mill? Millicent, letting the cards run through her hands. These? Yes. Crudel, putting his forefinger on the king. How the old monarch smiles on you. He's glad to see us together again. He's delighted by Gad. Father, I haven't touched a peck since I left you two years ago. For shame, Millie. For shame. 
they served you so well, too. Patting her head. Ah, it was a blow to me when I lost ye. What an eye you had, what a wrist. They used to say you had ten fingers to each hand. Hush, father. Dorinda's a fool to you. A well-meaning girl, but an empty-headed, brainless fool. Whimpering and wiping his eye. She has been a tax upon me. A drain. I've lost by her, lost by her. She was always in need of new boots and new gloves with hundreds of buttons. I went down lower and lower when you left me. What was it the devils used to call you, Mill? I don't know. I forget. Money spinner, my pet goldfinch. Money spinner, my ladybird. Oh, no. Father. It's true. You know the science. How your tongue used to rattle and how your eyes sparkled. The boobies stared at your face and you fleeced them. And then you broke your poor old father's heart and left him alone with a chit of a chit who never brought in a sou and always grizzled for new gloves and new boots with hundreds of buttons. Father, I wonder if I have forgotten the old trick, if my eyes have grown dim and my fingers sick and clumsy. Not you, my cherub, not you. It's a gift of providence and never leaves one. Crudel goes round to right of table and takes up the pack of cards. Are you going to play tonight, Milly? Perhaps. What? If I play, écarté. Ah, aye. Shall I refresh your memory, eh? Father. Shall I, eh? Shall I? Yes. Crudel stands facing Millicent with his back to the audience. The pack he holds is prepared for business. Crudel, taking out King of Hearts and holding it up. The King of Hearts, Mill. I love him. He is so kind to me. See? He is supposed to replace the card, then shuffles vigorously. Who is to have him, Mill? You or I? Give it to me, father. Greedy girl, greedy girl, her father's own child. He deals five cards to each, three at a time, and then two. The King of Hearts, which, after shuffling, he has made the bottom card of the pack, he deals to Millicent. Show em, Millie, show em. Millicent turns the cards face upwards and takes from them the king, which she holds up. There he is, there he is. That's the way to deal, Mill, that's the way to deal. Yes, two years ago, Dad, not now. Dorinda appears at right window 
and comes down to back of table. Why not now, Millie? Only two classes of people are lucky at cards. The fools and the knaves. The fools because of their blind courage. The knaves because of their skill. If you are not certain that you are a fool, my child, take your old man's lesson to heart and play with a science. Dorinda sternly. Now then, Pa, shut up. Ugh, you vulgar child. I know I'm vulgar. In appearance, dress, manner, everything. It is in my blood, and it will never come out of it. I know I'm vulgar, but I'm going to be honest. How dare you say such things to Millicent? How dare you preach your dreadful sermons to an honest man's wife? Dear, the way the offspring speaks to the author of her sublunary existence. Go away. I will not. Don't anger father, Dolly. I will anger him because he angers me. Children are children only as long as they know no better than their parents. When they do know better, the parents become their children's children and are to be whipped and stood in the corner. Be silent, or you'll break my heart. Margot enters door right, followed by Ken Gussie. Margot is in black with cap and apron. Ken Gussie in evening dress. Lord Ken Gussie! Margot goes out. Ken Gussie kisses Dorinda and shakes hands with Millicent. How are you, Dolly? To Millicent. How are you, Mrs... Oh, confound it, there's the name again. I heard it on the stairs. To Crudel. Good evening, Baron. Ah, Ken Gussie. You see us once more together. Three happy birds chirping in the same nest. Wiping his eye. A pretty picture, I venture to think. A pretty picture. King Gussie, looking at Dorinda. Very. Harold will be down directly. King Gussie, to Dorinda. Let us look at the stairs. I, I mean stare at the stars. Dorinda takes his arm to Millicent. Will you be a stargazer, Millie? Boycott. Of course, Millie, boycott. Certainly, I will. Dorinda, Ken Gussie and Millicent go up to window left. Crudel shakes his fist at Dorinda. She looks over her shoulder, sees him and makes an ugly face at him. They go out on balcony. Let the girl be careful or I will dismiss her from my affections. Laying his hand on his heart. I feel a vacuum here already, here and elsewhere. I wonder whether there is a loose sandwich or two in the next room. It is my natural disposition to pray. P-R-E-Y. I will pray upon the victuals, by gad. He goes quietly out through curtains left. Margot enters, door right. Monsieur Faubert. Faubert enters in evening dress. Millicent advances to meet him. They shake hands. Margot at door, looking at Faubert. 
I ate him. He kissed me on the stairs, almost against my will. I am fifty years old, so it is not for love. He has a motive. Mon Dieu, I do hate him. Millicent to Margot. Margot, the curtains. Music. Millicent comes down with Faubert. Margot exits to left. To Faubert. Mr. Boycott returns so late. He will be down soon. Margot draws the curtains from across opening left. The room beyond is well lighted, and the end of a supper table is seen laid for supper. Here he is. Harold enters through opening in evening dress. Margot goes out left. Ah, forbear. Very glad to see you. Dolly, can Gussie? Can Gussie comes down, followed by Dorinda. Faubert bows to them. There's something laid in the next room. On condition that nobody dignifies it by the toidle of supper, I propose we go and look at it. Millicent takes Ken Gussie's arm. Faubert bows to Dorinda. She takes his arm. They go laughing and chatting through the opening left, followed by Harold. Margot appears left, drops the curtains, then retires left. After a pause, Crudel enters through the curtains, with a sandwich in one hand and a claw of lobster in the other. I can't stand that Frenchman's eye. The fellow has a look that would open an oyster. He sits on Ottoman left. There is a burst of laughter from further room. Eating. They are getting on tolerably well without me. Margot comes from left, carrying a tray towards right. Crudel stops her. Be good enough to fetch me the least drop of brandy. Stay. Bring the decanter, and I'll measure it myself. Yes, I will. She goes through the curtains off left. How men can eat without drinking, I never can understand. The idea, to me, is dog-like and revolting. Margot returning with decanter and glass on tray. Crudel takes decanter, removes stopper, sniffs the contents. Margot holding out glass to him. See glass? No, thank you. I have all I require. Margot points to the decanter and pantomimes by raising her hand to her mouth that she knows he will drink out of it. Oh, yes, I see. Bravo. A very good idea. Ha, ha. She goes out right. What is the matter with the woman, I wonder? I suppose I have noticed her beyond the requirements of her station. Vanity. Vanity. He takes out the flask from his pocket and commences to fill it from the decanter. Millicent and Kengussie enter from left and stroll over to window right, not observing Crudel. It is too warm there. It does suggest the tropics. Oh, what a delicious breeze. They stand looking out of window right. Crudel sees them, and while their backs are turned, sneaks off with the flask and decanter out of window left. He gets between the two windows out of sight.
Millicent and Ken Gussie turn down stage right. Ken Gussie down right centre by table. Here are the cards. Shall we play? Do you... do you wish to play? I should like to, for the sake of old times. We'll play, then, for the sake of old times. Millicent sits right of table. Ken Gussie faces her. Dorinda appears left, looks at them. They do not observe her. Face to face once more. Two old enemies. Two old friends. Is their friendship at cards? Did you read that a brother and sister, twins, stabbed each other at the Saint-Sever last week over a game of faro? What's a warning to all twins? Are you ready? For you to stab? <laughs> For me to cut. Same thing. They cut the cards. <clears throat> Our old stakes? If you please. Or double them. Two years rest makes one reckless. Double them. Millicent deals. Why, how your hand trembles. <laughs> the air is so warm here. Don't notice me. It is nothing. They play as at a carte. Kengussie marks the king. Dorinda watching from left. I made up my mind in the railway carriage when we were leaving Paris that I wouldn't be jealous, and I thought I was as firm as a rock. But, oh, I have such a sickening sensation at my heart when I see them together. Why, you are positively allowing me to win. I shall be proud of my skill after tonight. I promised you your revenge. Aside. I can't play tonight. Putting her hand to her head. I think I'm going mad. Oh, Harold, Harold. Can Gussie to Millicent. Coupe. Marks. Millicent cuts cards. Can Gussie deals. What are you playing, Can Gussie? Ecarte. Dorinda, going up to piano. Two are company, three are none. Millicent to Ken Gussie. Je propose. Combien? Trois. Millicent discards. Ken Gussie redeals. Dorinda aside. How wrong of Millie to allow Ronald to play. He is such a fool at a card table. To Ken Gussie, coming down centre. Ronald! Ken Gussie does not hear. Millicent plays a card. Ken Gussie triumphantly playing a card. Le Roi! Oh, good gracious! Ronald is winning! Fortune smiles on me. I kiss my hand to Fortune, for she is a woman. Aye, and as false as her human sisters. Faubert and Harold enter from left, smoking cigarettes and chatting. Harold sits left. Monsieur Faubert. Faubert advancing to her. Miss Crudel. I'm a cigarette smoker. Faubert takes out cigarette case. Isn't it horrid in a woman? Not at all. Gives one and lights it by his. Dorinda aside. I'll do anything to annoy Ronald tonight. He makes me mad. 
pause. Millicent reprovingly. Dorinda, what are you doing? Enjoying myself. Can Gussie, turning towards her. Nice there, Dorinda. You know I hate that. Thanks, but we are not particularly intent upon pleasing each other tonight. She goes up to left window and sits. Harold to Fober left. Do you bet? Never. Can Gussie over his shoulder to Harold. I am enjoying my revenge for long ago. You'll never believe it. I'm the poorest player in the world, and I triumph. Dorinda from window. Harold, I want you. Harold joins Dorinda and sits. Fulbert aside. Madame seems disturbed. Millicent throwing down cards. Oh, what frightful ill luck. Poor Millicent. Millicent tears a leaf from the pocket-book and writes on it an I.O.U. and gives it to Ken Gussie. A thousand francs. Aside. My only hope is going from me. Oh, we are lost. Thanks. Are you tired? Millicent rousing herself. <laughs> Not I. I'll play till I vanquish you. Tired? Double the stakes. Millicent rings the bell which stands on the card table. There is a crash of broken glass heard from outside window. Good gracious! What is that? It is that careless Margot. Yes. Crudel enters uneasily through window left. Don't be alarmed, my children. A window in the neighborhood, I think. Nothing more serious. I didn't know you were there, Papa. Margot enters from right. Yes, madame? Carts, Margot, quick. Yes, madame. Margot crosses to opening left. As she is leaving, Crudel pulls the skirt of her dress. Margot, my dear, I've had a trifling mishap with a decanter. You'll find it in the court below. Margot laughs. Don't laugh, you vixen. Don't laugh. Margot laughs and goes out left, followed by Crudel. Fulbert, back of table to Millicent. Does Madame often play écarté? No, not now. Madame is wise, for the stakes are high, and fortune is her enemy. Yes. Can Gussie to Fulbert. You'll see. Luck will change. Millicent staring forward. Perhaps. Faubert goes to desk, right, takes up book, and stands watching. Margot re-enters, carrying a tray on which are two packs of cards, a siphon, a small decanter of brandy, and soda-water glass. Margot to Millicent. The cards for Ecarte, madame. Millicent takes cards, giving the two old packs to Margot. Can Gussie pours himself out a soda and brandy? Margot then withdraws right. Millicent, taking a fresh pack. Coupé. They cut. Millicent deals. As she does so, a card falls unnoticed from the pack and lies at her feet. 
Fulbert is right by desk. He sees the card upon the ground, is about to call attention to it, but restrains himself. Ken Gussie, playing a card. I play. They play. Fulbert watches them. Ken Gussie, taking a trick. No. Millicent, aside. I must win. I must win. Ken Gussie plays again. Millicent covers his card. He takes the trick. Ken Gussie triumphantly. Another. Millicent, aside. Ruin. Ken Gussie plays. Un grand coup. Ken Gussie raises his glass and drinks to Millicent. To my victim. Millicent bows. Ken Gussie drinks. Millicent, aside. If he only knew what tomorrow will bring me. At this moment, Dorinda, from up the stage, laughs loudly. Ken Gussie looks round. As he does so, Millicent discovers the card at her feet and picks it up, aside. Ah, the very card. She plays it quickly, thrusting one of the cards she holds in her hand into her pocket. Voila. Ken Gussie looks round. By Jove, the luck has turned. Ken Gussie. Ronald. Yes? I... nothing. Aside. What have I done? What have I done? Your play, Miller? They continue the play. Faubert crosses to centre, eyeing them. Faubert aside. Ah, I thought Madame Boycott's luck would change. She turns the table on the fall of a Scotch lord. Grognon, will you be fooled too by pretty Madame Boycott? How do I stand? My friend Boycott is sorely in need of money and to-morrow should fall into my hands. I cannot spare him. I am too proud of my glorious, my useful profession to let him slip now. I must have my friend Boycott. Ken Gussie throwing down cards. Fortune deserts me. He tears up Millicent's I.O.U., then takes note from pocket-book and pushes them to Millicent. Your game? A thousand francs. Again, we'll make a night of it. Fulbert, aside. A thousand francs out of ten. And Madame Boycott's luck returned. Sits on chair left. If Madame Boycott wins ten thousand francs from Lord Ken Gussie tonight, my friend Boycott meets his liabilities tomorrow, and I lose my pretty little case. I cannot spare my friend Boycott. I will warn the fool of a Scotch lord. He takes out a pocket book, tears a leaf from it, and writes. Dorinda rises to Harold. What feverish verses you used to send to Milly in your courting days. Harold, by her side. Did I? Dorinda, coming into room. 
Do you remember some lines you begged me to lay upon her pillow the night you thought she had thrown you over? She had had a bilious attack and wouldn't see you. I remember Millie's illness. I don't remember the verses. I do. She took them with a sidelet's powder. They began. My fate is cursed if I do live without thee. Today, tomorrow, bind but a single golden raven auburn hair about me, and I must follow. I forget the rest. She plays an air softly on the piano. Pause. Fulber moves deliberately over to Kangussi, who is playing intently, and lays the little note before him on the table. Apart on me, Lord Kangussi, that is a nice method of marking at a carte. Read it. Kangussi, absently, not looking up. Thank you. Fulber returns to sofa. Can Gussie plays a card? Stop! I didn't intend to play that. <laughs> Too late. Can Gussie throwing down his cards? Once more, I thought fortune was only flirting with me again. They cut cards. Millicent commences to deal. Can Gussie picks up Forbear's note? What is this? He reads. I don't quite comprehend. Who placed this upon the table? Monsieur Faubert, did he not? What is the matter? Ken Gussie, aside, reading the note again. Great heavens! I can't, I won't believe it. Ken Gussie, what ails you? Ken Gussie, looking at her fixedly. You have made a mistake in your play a mistake you know it i can read that you know it in your face i will play no more what do you mean why do you look at me like that can gussie raises his glass to his lips and drains it looking at paper i mean that i believe what is written here I'll play no more. He is about to rise. She seizes his arm. Show me that paper. I will not. Show me that paper. I cannot. Lord Kengussie. Ronald, give it me, please. He slowly hands it to her. Tell me, what am I to think? She reads it quickly. Is it false or true? Don't speak to me so harshly. Pushes the notes towards him. Take them away from me. Take them away. Is it false or true? Ronald, I... It is. Throwing Forbear's note to Ken Gussie. Believe every word of it, if you care to. <laughs> Her head drops upon the table. She cries bitterly. Dorinda ceases playing. Harold turns. Millicent! Ken Gussie rises and flings the cards to the ground. You are too clever for me here, and fool me on all sides. What is the meaning of this, Lord Ken Gussie? 
it means mr i am rude enough to forget your name for the moment that i am about to quit your house with a settled determination to enter it again on no account whatever thank you as you please and that i do not exactly sympathize with the constitution of a household into which a man is lured as a guest to be cheated at play dorinda comes from piano to millicent cheated i repeat sir cheated dorinda to millicent you're a good sister to rob the man i am to marry don't you think i am low enough in his eyes as it is without you degrading me still more millicent to dorinda oh dolly have pity you shall prove your accusation lord kingussie no i say do you really think that to your advantage crudel enters through curtains left what is it is there anything in dispute children any little point at cards that papa can settle that's right father see your girls now see what your sermons have brought them to Ugh, you ungrateful child Harold to Kengussie. You are not now in Scotland, my lord. You must answer to me for your language. Certainly. Pointing to Faubert, who is seated quietly on Ottoman left. In company with that gentleman? Rise, the writer of that note. Faubert rises calmly. Let me see that paper. Kengussie, giving Faubert's note to Harold by all means it is marked private perhaps i do not understand the scotch etiquette in reference to a private communication in scotland sir two persons are necessary to an agreement i am under no obligation to you to share alone the advantages of your ingenious discoveries Fulbert inclines his head harold reads remember that the lady to whom you are at this moment losing your money is the daughter of a notorious blackleg crudel goes up stage remember also that she was known in paris in the rue st nicholas by the sobriquet of the money spinner ply if you choose she is cheating you to king gussie pointing at forbear this man my lord for the last week or longer has fastened himself upon me and sought my companionship to-night he is my guest accepting my hospitality approaching forbear jules forbear you dog he strikes fulbert upon the breast fulbert rises himself for a moment as if about to return the blow then regains his composure and remains perfectly still son-in-law don't be hasty don't be hasty you don't know who your precious friend is i do and i can tell you dorinda that man's name is not faubert he is pierre grognon a detective in the parisian police crudel hastily goes out harold starting back oh what have i done 
Millicent rising. Harold. Can Gussie to forbear? Monsieur, whatever your name may be, tell me, have I indeed the honour of meeting a distinguished officer of the Parisian police? It is true. I am Pierre Grognon. What do you hear? Since I am known, I need no longer conceal my mission. I am watching Mr. Harold Boycott, a clerk in Roubaud's factory, who is suspected by his employer of a crime. Harold sinks on seat at piano and covers his face with his hands. A crime? And you have grasped my husband's hand under the mask of friendship with this in your heart. She sits right. Madame, we fulfil our useful offices under many guises. It is one of the most sublime offices of friendship that it can be employed for the purposes of detection of crime. Monsieur Ribot requested that I should keep my eye upon Mr. Harold Boycott, whose strength of mind he mistrusted, and I have carried out my instructions to the letter. My task would have been a painful one to so sensitive a man as myself had it not consoled me with the society of Madame Boycott i do not doubt sir that you have performed expediently your most miserable duty advancing to him may i ask you as a personal favour that you will step outside that door pointing to right and remain there looking at watch for about a quarter of an hour goes to doors right as far away from the keyhole as is consistent with your habits and your employer's instructions i am happy in being able to oblige you goes to doors right and then turns shall i have an opportunity of paying my adieu to your lordship i shall doubtless require to see you again in any case, I shall consider it my duty not to be far away from this spot until tomorrow. With a bow, he goes out through doors right, closing them carefully after him. Kangussie goes to Millicent, who is down right. Dorinda eyes them. Millicent. Yes. I want to speak to you alone. Dorinda, overhearing, quietly goes on to balcony through window right unperceived you see how wretched how humiliated i am what more do you wish to say to me i must speak to you alone millicent rises and goes to harold who is seated at piano millicent to harold i have some explanation to give to lord kengussi harold will you leave us Harold rises, kisses Millicent's hand, and goes to left. Harold, at curtains, to King Gussie. Lord King Gussie, of course, 
does not intend to quit this house without my knowledge. He goes out, left. Millicent comes down to Ottoman left, and sits. Kangussi looks around the room, and appears satisfied that they are alone. What have you to say to me? My dear Millicent. My husband's name is Boycott, Lord Kangussi. Thank you. You know my failing. My dear Mrs. Boycott, I did tonight, for the first time in my life, within my remembrance, lose control over my temper. Well? Well, my dear Mrs. Boycott, I knew I should get the name. The consequences are so serious to me as to induce me to hope most fervently that such an occurrence will never repeat itself. <laughs> what is this to me? It may be of interest to you, inasmuch as it explains my foolish outburst at dropping a few hundred francs at that card table. You don't believe, then, what that letter told you? You don't believe that I cheated you at cards? Yes, I do. Upon my honour. Millicent sinks back again. Ken Gussie takes a chair and sits centre. Understand the reason of my annoyance. I am annoyed not because I am cheated at cards, but because I was so weak as to imagine that such a simple fool as myself could ever be anything to a pretty woman but a toy and a pastime. Ah, oh, you don't know. You don't understand. Can Gussie, lighting a cigarette. I do know, and I do understand, that I should have read long since the true character of the girl, who, two years ago, cheated me at love as lightly as she tonight cheated me at play, who won from me then a heart which was of value to me, as easily as she wins now the wretched money which I despise. Millicent, rising. Have pity on me. Have pity on me. Ken Gussie rising and replacing his chair. Oh, if we are to indulge in sentiment, it is I who deserve some pity. When I met you two years ago, I cast aside all prejudices, all conventionalities of opinion. I knew you to be, pardon my plainness, the daughter of a sharper, an English adventurer whose name reeked with ill odour in Florence, Monaco, and Brussels, and who had been driven to an obscure quarter of Paris to eke out a miserable existence with the aid of his two children, his decoys. Oh, this is unmanly of you. This is cruel. But a woman once loved by a man, because in his mind is something apart from all other women, much higher or much lower. I never considered your origin. To me you were as the highest lady in the land. And when you discarded me I had no hard name for you, but thought sadly of myself as of a poor fellow, 
who lacked the qualities which win the love of a good pure girl millicent laying her head upon his arm oh hear me for a moment came gussie taking his arm from her a moment and i shall have finished this morning i came to you the promised husband of your sister poor dolly i can never give dolly the affection i gave you and she guesses it but she knows and you know that i am an honest man and will do my duty i loved dolly because at odd times her voice had the ring of yours and her eyes the brightness of yours i won't hear you speak any more you you torture me i have done i merely wish to put one question to you don't you think you did wrong to make a fool of me at ecarte don't you think i merited something less or something more that perhaps i deserved at your hands something better he sits right centre smoking his cigarette millicent comes to him slowly and lays her hand upon his shoulder ronald i did cheat you at the cards he inclines his head in assent i was tempted sorely you heard what that man grognon said that he had been employed by Monsieur ribaud the head of my herald's firm to watch him yes rising i beg your pardon won't you sit down millicent kneeling quickly no let me kneel i will tell you everything harold has used monies which do not belong to him for investment in london not with dishonest intent believe me he thought to repay the money before the return of his absent employers to rouen but the london scheme failed and all our savings are gone and we are penniless harold had no idea that he was suspected he is to hand over his books and accounts to-morrow and is in desperate need of ten thousand francs to save himself and his wife from ruin i meant to win ten thousand francs from you at play and heaven forgive me i meant to do it dishonestly Kane gussie sits and takes her hand Mele why did you not give me the confidence which from a woman i once loved i should have esteemed an honour why did you not come to me and say i can speak to you as i can speak to no other man in the world besides my husband i am in distress will you help me Millie, why did you not trust me because i was too great a coward to beg of the man whom two years ago i cast off without a word of sympathy or kindness because there is bad blood in me and i am a cheat by nature because to women trained as i have been it is so much easier to sin dorinda who has been listening at intervals comes from balcony through window left can gussie rising and raising millicent my dear little friend 
I find that I have been mistaken. I know nothing of women. I am a bigger fool than I thought. Dorinda comes down and puts her arm round Millicent's waist. Oh, Millie, dear, I shall never forgive myself for having been angry with you. Dolly. Dorinda, wiping her eyes. I was jealous of you, Millie, and I've been listening. I never guessed that you were over head and heels in trouble, and I'm ashamed of myself, dear. I am indeed. My dear Dorinda, it is not considered usual, I may remark, for a young lady to play the eavesdropper. Yes, I know that folks in your station are in the habit of drawing the line somewhere. I'm not well-bred enough to know where the line is to be drawn, and I'm not squeamish. Advancing centre to Ken Gussie. Look here, Ken Gussie. You've been making some very disrespectful observations about my pa. He's not so good and not so bad as other people's paws, but I owe him the luxury of being here at this moment, and that's all I care about. Now don't you think you had better go and leave us to share our troubles amongst us? I shall stick to Millicent as long as I have breath in my body, and you and me, I don't think we mix well. Dolly, dear, you must give me another chance. He holds out his hand to Millicent. She takes it. Millie, it is very womanly to be very weak, and the weakness of woman deserves, I have been taught, nothing but the most respectful sympathy. I have never thought higher of you than I do at this moment. Forgive me for every harsh thing I have said and done. I need forgiveness. I have nothing to forgive. We will not argue that point. Dolly, oblige me by calling your father and Mr... There goes the name again. And Millie's husband. Dorinda goes off left quickly. Kangussie crosses to table right and rings bell. Oh, Lord Kangussie, what must you think of me? Kangussie leading her to Ottoman. I think that your tears distress me beyond measure, and I think I know that if you had honoured me by becoming my wife, you would, had there been such miserable need, have suffered as much for my sake as you are now suffering for my friend your husband. Margot enters, doors right. Did Madame ring? Ken Gussie crosses to Margot. There is a gentleman waiting for me, is there not? Monsieur... I forget his name. Margot, looking at Ken Gussie. A gentleman with hair like my lord. Ken Gussie, disconcerted. Well, I should hardly have thought. However, that's the man. Will you ask him to come up? Margot, jerking thumb towards door's right. Ha! <laughs> He's sitting on the stairs outside. Is he? I hope he has caught a very severe cold. Margot laughs, claps her hands and goes off right. Harold enters left, followed by Crudel and Dorinda. Dorinda joins Millicent on Ottoman. 
Ken Gussie, taking Harold's hand. Mr. Uh, Millicent's husband, I want you to allow an old acquaintance to put himself right with you. I want you to forgive my almost unpardonable rudeness. Lord Kingussie? Will you do me the kindness to consider me your friend? There is a cloud hanging over me, a black one. You have yet to learn the story of my folly. I know everything. I know that you are a man in great trouble, and I offer you my sincere sympathies. Thank you, from my heart. And more than this, I demand the right, the right to help you in your difficulties by all means in my power. I have long had a predilection for commerce. Will you consider me your banker? Lord Kingussie, I... Hush! You are under no obligations to me. You are in a scrape today. I may be in one tomorrow. It will then be your right to help me, and I shall not fail to seek you. Crudel presses forward and seizes Kengussie's hand. My dear Kengussie, any question as to your eligibility for the position of my son-in-law, I now consider removed. I may have had my doubts, but I am sure it will ease your mind when I tell you that your present manly conduct thoroughly convinces me that you are a gentleman. Margot enters, followed by Faubert. Monsieur Faubert. Margot scowls at Faubert as he enters and wipes her lips with her apron. Aside. He has done it once more, mon dieu, how I do hate him. Goes out right. Can Gussie to Faubert. I am sorry to have detained you. Pardon me. You can now, however, go home to bed. My duty to Monsieur Ribot? You can perform, as you have said, to the very letter. But let me satisfy your mind upon one point. Let me tell you, sir, that my friend... Pointing to Harold. ...has incurred no liability to his employers that he will not be able to meet tomorrow to the fullest extent. I congratulate Mr. Boycott. For your method of marking at Ecarte, I thank you. But, understand me, I prefer and shall adhere to the old system. Forbear bows. Kangussie advances behind him and touches his arm quietly. If you have a grain of manhood in you, do not breathe a word against the lady who has tonight equally honoured you and me by condescending to be our hostess. I have influence in Paris. You understand me? Perfectly. I shall probably have occasion to see you tomorrow morning. Giving his card. Hotel d'Angleterre. Be with me at ten o'clock. 
he takes from his chain a handsome hunting watch. Don't be late. Giving watch to Fulbert. Don't be late. That is an excellent timekeeper. Let it remind you of our appointment. Good night. Fulbert pockets the watch, goes to door, then turns, inclining his head to Millicent and Dorinda. Madame, Mademoiselle, adieu. Mr. Boycott, Baron, adieu. Ah, I do not receive one word, one token. May I beg your consideration? Looks at Harold. I have been struck to-night upon the face. When you all speak and think against me, count in my favour what I suffer in the knowledge that it is my duty alone that forbids me to return that blow. To Kengussi. Au revoir. Dorinda runs over to Kengussi and throws her arms around him. Oh, Ronald, you are too good to me, but I'll try to be a nice girl for your sake. I won't smoke another cigarette, and I'll never talk slang, and when you see me again, you shall find me a regular tip-top lady. Dorinda, this is very humiliating for your father. Ah, Dolly, when you learn all my faults, you'll discover what a good little soul you are. Margot enters right, with Kangussie's overcoat and hat. My lord's coat and hat. The right-headed gentleman said I was to bring them up. Confound his impudence! He takes them from Margot and gives her some silver. Thank you. Margot goes out. Good night, Baron. Crudel advances and shakes hands. Be careful of the night air, my boy. I don't think a drop of brandy would do you any harm. Beamingly. After our sad excitement, I don't think a drop of brandy would do any of us any harm. No, thanks. Dorinda assists Ken Gussie to put on his coat. Crudel retires and strolls out through curtains left. Harold advances and takes Ken Gussie's hand. I must seek some other opportunity to tell you what I think, what I feel. Nonsense. We shall meet tomorrow. I shall delay my departure till you are quite through your difficulties. And by the by, old friend, you and this interesting little city must part company. You must consider my little influence in England quite at your service. Harold grasps Ken Gussie's hand, then turns up stage left. I'll see you downstairs, Ronald, if you promise not to kiss me. I promise? Well, I never. The air of Old Lang Syne is played very feelingly. Ken Gussie advances centre towards Millicent who is seated on ottoman left. I am going, Millet. She rises and comes slowly to him. He takes her hand. Good night. Millicent, hanging her head. Don't say anything to me. I can't bear it. Ken Gussie to Harold. 
I say, er, um, Miller's husband. Harold, turning around. I beg pardon? May I claim the privilege of an old friend and a future brother? Harold, with a smile. Of course. Dorinda, who is listening, hides her face with her arm so that she may not see Kengussie and Millicent. Kengussie takes Millicent's hand and kisses her upon the forehead. For old Lang Syne. Kengussie goes up to Dorinda at door right. Crudle appears in opening left, with a wine glass in his hand, drinking to Kengussie. The music swells as the curtain falls. End of Act Two. End of The Money Spinner by Arthur Wing Pinero.